Wow, thank you. How's everyone doing? Are you enjoying summer? You wish it were over? We had six feet of snow? No. If you're visiting with us today, we're glad to have you here. We welcome you, and uh, we just hope that you enjoy a good time here. Nice to see Nate and Lisa Haslam here today. Who you got with you? Let's stand up and introduce. Well, wait now. They, I wouldn't clap for them. I'd never clap for them. No. But who you got with you? Nicolina Evelyn Haslam here for the very first time. Let's give her a hand. Oh, it's good to see you guys, uh, the family. Good to see you here. And uh, she's how many days old? Eight. Eight? Eight, yeah. Wow, that's good. So uh, that's the way to start them off, right? It's good. We got babies. I mean, they're just coming from, I mean, there's all kinds of babies and more on the way. By the way, speaking of that, there's a baby dedication next Sunday. And so uh, just a reminder, if you want more information, see me before you leave today. Hey, we're, we're going to have some fun over the next little while. Is that okay? Are you up for some fun? Yes? You're in a good mood then. Good, good, good. Today I want to talk to all of us because all of us are in need of some reminding in this area, and I haven't touched on it for quite a while. I want to talk today about relationships. How many of you understand relationships, how they work, and all the rest? Okay. How they're supposed to work. Okay. I mean, how desperately, I got thinking of this the other day, how desperately we need God's presence and God's word in our relationships. You know, you can have everything else in the relationship, but if you don't have the presence of God and the power of his word, you really don't have much to build on. You don't have really much to, to fall back on. And here's the truth. Every one of us is in a relationship. Every one of us. I, I get, an, I get uh, intrigued by people who uh, they get on the Facebook and they say, in a relationship. Well, that's not news, folks. We're all in a relationship. Everybody is. It's one way or another. And unless you're a hermit, or unless you've dug a hole somewhere and you don't plan to come out, you're in at least one relationship, whether you're married, or you're dating, or you're just friends, or you have family, or you work somewhere, or you live like around other real humans. We all have relationships. Now, for many people in relationships, it's kind of like this. And this is the title of what I want to what I want to speak on today. Open mouth, change feet. Okay, I know you thought I was going to say open mouth, insert foot, but most of us have one foot in there all the time anyway. So usually we just open mouth to change feet. Can I tell you something this morning? Of course I can. Okay, first because I don't think you're really totally relaxed yet. Everybody take a really deep breath. I didn't say let it out. <laughs> I was going to have you hold that for a half hour, but no. Okay, everybody take a really deep breath. Clear the cobwebs. Relationships are supposed to be enjoyable. And I have every right to say that because God created people to have relationships, first off with him and also with other people, for enjoyment. 
Too many people have relationships that are simply not enjoyable. And when it comes to marriages, God gives us an excellent passage of Scripture. And if you want to turn to it, uh, I'd be honored because we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 for quite a little bit of this message this morning. So in Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to just start right in reading at verse 21. And I know that these verses and the thoughts here are very familiar to some of you. And I hope by the end of this message, they'll be more familiar to all of you or all of us. But in Ephesians 5, 21, it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Everybody say with me that word, submit. Submit. Everybody say that word with me. Submit. Good. Now, I just want to backdrop here just a little bit. Paul is talking about relationship. And so he's including every relationship. Yeah, he's talking about marriage and husbands and wives and so on. But he gets down further into, he gets drilling down into some other things here. The next verse is my favorite verse in the Bible. I'm thinking I might get some body art done. And if I do, this is the verse that'll be on it. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Husbands, read that with me nice and loud now, all the guys. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Come on, chicken. As you... Oh, that was, that was terrible. That was so weak. That was terrible. One more time. I'll give you another chance, guys, to show your manhood here. Okay, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, let's close in prayer. I want to get you out for lunch. <laughs> All I know is every man in the building should have been shouting right then, Amen! <laughs> of course, I'm kidding. When I first got married nearly 47 years ago, I tried to tease my wife with this verse. I said, Honey, you just never forget this, that I'm the head of this house. And she said, Yeah, well, you just never forget I'm the neck that turns the head. <laughs> so we continue reading at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without, without stain or wrinkle, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, I want to stop there for a minute. A whole lot of love going on here. And a lot of it's directed to the fellas. To, to love your wives as much as you love your own body. Now, some of you dudes really love yourself. In fact, some of you ladies really love yourselves too. Let me tell you something. Just, uh, just let me tell you something. Instagram is living proof. Some of you love yourself so much, we get to see selfies of you all the time. Some of you throw out the daily selfie. Some of you throw out the hourly selfie. My soul. Some of you even, send, you even throw out the secondly selfie every so many seconds. Just in case, I've tried to figure out why you do that, but I guess it's in case we forget what you looked like 10 minutes ago. Some of you, there are more selfies on your IG than there are pictures of your wife or your husband or your kids. 
Some of you like yourselves, like, 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 so much that nobody else likes you. We need to live our lives selfie-less. What God is saying here is, love your wife, love your husband as your own body. You remember when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment in the Bible? In Matthew 22, verses uh, 37, 38, 39, over there, he said the greatest commandment, all your mind, all your soul. And then he said the second greatest commandment is to love others like you love yourself. Now, why did he say that? Because by nature, we're selfish. By nature, we love us. We think about us. We consider us. Have you figured it out yet? This is a me-first world we live in. So let's read some more of what Paul's letter includes here. I go down to verse 29. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, and one flesh here means perfect harmony. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Listen here. When you get married... When you get married, it's not about you anymore. It really never should have been about you anyway, but when you get married, it is not about you. When you get married, it's about him. When you get married, it's about her. I'm married. We have two wonderful kids. I'm married. We have two wonderful kids. Nobody responded to that. My life is about them. And I decided many years ago, and I, I, I don't have the ideal marriage, and there is no perfect marriage, and you'll never find a perfect partner, and you're not a perfect partner. But you know what? I decided a long to- time ago I was going to give up my life for my wife and my kids, and that's how an ideal marriage is supposed to work. Here's the model plan. I submit to God, which means I submit to His direction, I submit to his correction, and I submit to his protection. Then my wife submits to the Lord, and to me occasionally, and lives in harmony with me. It's not me lording anything over my wife and family. It isn't that at all. It's me leading my wife and family. You don't lord over. You lead over. So you don't, and I don't, spit out commands all day long. I'd rather submit to God's command. I don't tell her how to live. I show her how to live. I don't tell my kids how to live. I show them how to live. They can make their own choices on that. That's perfectly fine. It's like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1. Here's what he said. Follow my example. Some people really get on Paul's case. Boy, that guy was so ego-driven. It's just unbelievable. I don't believe that for a half a minute. I don't believe it for a second. But listen to what Paul said in 11.1 of 1 Corinthians. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I like that. Now let me ask you guys something here this morning. Got a good number of men here. Some of you are still trying to get approval from your wife, but you can listen to me and get approval from her too. That's okay. 
How is a woman, how is a wife supposed to submit to a husband who is not submitted to the Lord? See, in verse 22 that we read a moment ago, it tells wives, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, how do you do that? Well, if your husband is not submitted to the Lord, it's very, very hard for you to do that. Matter of fact, it's probably nearly impossible because it creates an incredibly frustrated relationship and that's why God wants us to be equally yoked. And I'm not going to get off on that subject this morning other than to say be very careful if you're dating or looking or prospecting. Okay? I know some of you believe in missionary uh, dating or dating evangelism, but I don't. I'm, I'm not in favor of that at all because it never ends up good. Guys also, that's all I'm going to say about that. Guys also like to you. oh, well, I can win them. To the, I'll win them. I'll, no, you won't either. No, you won't. Guys also like to use this Ephesians passage out of context. Guys like to say, see, it says right here, I'm the head of this house. And it doesn't say you're the head of the house. It says you're the head of the wife. I call the shots. My wife has to submit. You deal with it and so on. That's not true. That's not even biblical. That's only part of the Bible. And if you only use part of the Bible, then you're using the Bible out of context. In order for the harmony of Scripture to work and operate properly, it works both ways. Yes, wives submit to Jesus and to husbands. And the other part is in verse 25 and 28. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. That's a lot of love right there. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, and he who loves his wife loves himself. See, what happens in a lot of marriages or relationships, period, is that we try to live the selfie marriage, and it doesn't work. The two are supposed to become one flesh, not she becomes my flesh or he becomes my flesh. It's not about you. In fact, everyone say this out loud. It's not about me. me. If you're married or in a relationship, Turn and look him in the eye, or her, right in the eye, and say, it's not about me. Okay, go ahead. It's not about me. How many did that? Okay. How many did not do it and will never do it and don't even believe it and this is all heresy? Get out. Um, No. One flash is perfect harmony. Some of you know that harmony sounds amazing. Harmony is pleasant to the ear. In the music world, it's fun to harmonize with people. Harmony is a primary note with supporting notes that complement the primary note and make it sound better, bigger, and stronger. That's what a marriage is supposed to be like, harmonious. Jesus is the primary note. We are the supporting notes. I could go over here and sit at one of these keyboards this morning and play a few chords to make harmony and just show you you know, what that sounds like when you're, when you're playing uh, chords and you're playing notes that are in harmony. And it would sound beautiful to the ear. See, that's what our, every relationship or every marriage should sound like, perfect harmony. Instead, a lot of marriages and many relationships today, sad to say, sound more like I went over to one of these keyboards and just put the open palm of my hand down on any keys and just did this number. And that wouldn't sound like harmony. That would sound more like a horror show. Unfortunately, many marriages, even Christian marriages, the marriages sound like that. So I want to ask you a question this morning, and I want you to dig deep for the answer, and I want you to answer it honestly and sincerely with yourself. 
If your relationship could produce a sound, what does your relationship sound like? Does it sound like harmony or does it sound like horror? Is there strife? Is there friction? Is there fighting? Is there arguing? Is there yelling? Is there screaming? Is there violence? Is there just total frustration? Oh, by the way, I use that word. I'm going to go back to it for a, a few moments. I'd like to specifically look at the topic of argument in relationship. Uh, let's keep it real this morning. How many of you got in an argument in the vehicle on your way to church this morning? Okay, now I know that's not true, but it's a little, yeah, it's a little disarming, isn't it, to put your hand up in front of that many people? It is. But we know that to be the case many, many times. Oh, or we, we smile and we play Christian here and we get to the parking lot, get inside that door, close the door and all hell breaks loose, right? So if it didn't happen on the way in, just giving you a warning, you're going to have a nice ride home. <laughs> Tell you this little story, the, uh, after years of, of nagging about it, the man's wife was finally going deer hunting with her husband. He gave in, said, okay, you can come. I'll drop you off here and uh, I'll go park the car. You just stand here and don't get into any trouble. So he drove the car down the road a ways and turned off and parked it. He walked back up the road to meet his wife. He could hear a heated argument going on. He knew it was his wife's voice, and it was some man. And he heard these words. It's my deer. I shot it. He could hear his wife is shouting this to the man. And the man keeps insisting, no, that's not your, your deer, lady. That is not your deer. And the husband started walking faster, and his wife said, It is too, my dear. I shot it, and it's mine. No, it's not, said the man. And that, the argument just got more intense, louder and louder, with the wife shouting about her killing her first deer. And finally, the weary voice of the man was heard, admitting to Veet, Okay, lady, it's your deer. Just let me get the saddle off it. Mm. People are so argumentative today. Some of you just sitting there. Not, that wasn't funny. People are so argumentative today. They will argue about anything and everything. Everyone's got to give you a piece of their mind. And I've got to tell you, I've met a lot of those people, and I always warn them, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. I say, be careful. You're pretty well getting out of pieces Boy, everybody's going to tell it like it is. They're going to tell you. It seems like everybody wants to win and be right, so let's talk about that. First off, let me tell you what I always say about such senseless wrangling. I say a bulldog can beat a skunk any old day, but it just isn't worth it. So, Bob, how you must have, you must have the secret pretty well down by now. How can I win every argument. I am so glad you asked because I a lot of stuff I can't answer, but that one I can. And the answer is by not arguing. Now, if you're a lawyer or a politician or some other form of crook, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. There's some things in life worth arguing, debating, or fighting for. 
But I'm talking about arguing in relationships. You see, you can win every argument, 100% of them, by simply not arguing. James, the half-brother of Jesus, talked about where arguing came from. In James chapter 4, and verses 1 and 2, he said, What causes fights and quarrels among you? He's talking to Christians. He says, Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? My suggestion is you take your Bible and circle those two words, your desires. There it is again. That's the selfie disease. We get into fights, we get into arguments, we get into misunderstandings, we get into quarrels. Why? Because of our own desires. Imagine. Seems like every argument I've ever been in is because of the other person or what the other person said or what the other person did or what the other person wanted to do. Now, it's not their problem. It's your problem. It's on you, not them. But we're too selfish. We're too prideful to just let some things go. Paul wrote this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.23. He said, Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And I'd underline six words in that verse. Don't have anything to do with. You know, we just need to keep saying that out loud. Don't have anything to do with. Don't have anything to do with what? Foolish and stupid arguments. Some people love to pick fights. They carry a gallon of gasoline with them in case they find a fire somewhere. You grow what you sow. There are spiritually mature ways to talk through something that you may not see eye to eye. Are you going to see eye to eye on every issue with every person that you're in some kind of relationship with, whether it be work or whether it be the family or whether it be your spouse or what? Of course not. But there are spiritually mature ways to talk through those things. Instead of arguing and producing quarrels and making it worse, you can sow seeds of peace and harmony. James also said to the Christians in chapter 318, he said, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What kind of harvest do you want? Sow for peace. Communicate with peace. Pray about the situation. I'm not talking about not talking about it. I'm not saying, well, just walk away. Just disregard it. Don't even think about it. I'm saying don't argue about it. You don't have to be right, and you don't have to win. Communicate with uh, words of peace. Talk through it. Unresolved conflict just keeps growing. You say, well... I'm not going to bother with it. I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to push it under the table or push it under the carpet or whatever. Yeah, you would do that and think it's dead, but it's going to rise again. And it's just going to be like some of those horror movies when the monster comes back to life. He always comes back more powerful than before. And twice as much atomic energy comes back to haunt you. So deal with it now. The best time to deal with it is as quickly as possible. And remember, dealing with it is not arguing about it. Even the healthiest marriage, even the healthiest of relationships, listen, have disagreements. But you can disagree without becoming disagreeable. You can argue without assassinating the other person's character. And conflict is the key to intimacy many times. The road to intimacy goes through the tunnel of conflict. I heard a guy who said, we got married at the justice of the peace. And since I got married, I haven't had either one. Now... 
Let me get you really slow on the uptake this morning. Let me give you four quick keys to live by in the heat of battle. And this is what we all need. This is why I want to get to this. Because when you're in the heat of an argument, here's what you need to remember. And if you don't, just make some notes and carry them with you. First, submit your situation to God. There are a lot of different kinds of arguments out there, aren't there? Sometimes we get into arguments over the most trivial matters. Other times we get into arguments over major things. Either way, it's pride. Either way, it's ego. Either way, it's insecurities that you have. Insecurity kills objectivity. I say that over and over because I believe it. You just can't see. You're looking through some kind of foggy glasses if you're insecure yourself because you always have to be protecting what you don't have or didn't have or whatever. No matter what situation you find yourself in, submit it to God. Give it to Him. Maybe sometimes when you're arguing, you are right. Maybe sometimes when you are arguing, the other person's right. But God is the only one who is always right. So give it over to Him. God knows the situation, and when you're arguing, He knows you're both wrong. When you're so focused on winning, you're actually losing. And when you're so focused on being right, you're actually being wrong. But it's not just your argument scenario. That's not just what I'm talking about when I say submit this to God. It's your life situation. Now, let's face it. I know that some of you today are are living in some tough situations. Some of it may be your own doing. Some of it may not be. I'm not here to judge that. But you might feel that you're between a rock and a hard place as far as your life situation. And you're, you're, you're kind of up against a wall. So I want you to listen. First off, submit your situation to God. I said this a few weeks ago. God will never allow you to go down any road where he's not there. He's got you. He's got you. He knows where you are. He knows what you need. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you're going through. I don't know why we go down those roads. I I personally hate them, but I've been down a few of them myself. I'm glad I can say that sometimes they make us better. I think adversity always makes us better. It's all about how we handle it. It can make us stronger. It can make us wiser. And most importantly, it makes me more dependent on God. And that's so important. One reason I think God allows us to go through a problem in life is just so we will start talking to him more. So we'll start hanging out with him more. When we're not close to him, he misses us. He longs for intimacy with us. And he knows the only way to get it is to allow us sometimes to go down a road that's kind of of dark-ended. Another reason God allows us to go through problems is to help others with theirs. God never wants to waste a problem. Never. Some of you are right smack in the middle of a lonely, dark, scary alley, shall we call it. Because God wants you to be a flashlight and a guide for someone else who's on their way down there too. For some of you, what you think right now might be destroying you is actually God anointing you. Anointing oil comes from the crushing of an olive. And when you crush it and when you squeeze it, oil comes out. And when God anoints you, it means he's setting you apart. He's consecrating you. 
what you might think is destroying you very well could be God anointing you, setting you up to set you apart. You're being crushed. You're being squeezed. You feel like you're being smothered because God is setting you apart. You know what he's doing? He's anointing you for greater things. God never wants to waste a hurt or a problem, so submit your situation to God. God's got you. God knows what you need. God knows when you need it. God knows how to deliver it. You remember what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him or submit to Him. That's what acknowledge there means. And He'll make your path straight. So first off, submit your situation to God. In the heat of the battle, second thing to do is submit your pride to God. Ooh, whoops. We all have pride. Every single one of us deals with pride. And it's interesting. Pride swings from one pendulum all the way to the other. Too high a self-esteem, that's pride. Too low a self-esteem, that's pride a different form. They're both pride. See, whether I think I'm a gem or whether I think I'm a junk, both of those are pride issues. Both sides put my focus on me. See, the three most important people in my life at that point are me, myself, and I. That's pride. Matter of fact, it's the middle letter of pride, which is also the middle letter of sin which is also the middle letter of guilt. Me, myself, and I. Pride. Hear what the Proverbs say. Proverbs 11.2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 13.10. Where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Love that verse. Proverbs 16.18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, 23. Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. So in the heat of the battle, and when you're drawn into this argumentative situation, and when it looks like there's no way to resolve it, and you're going in with that one last punch for the knockout? Here's some keys for you in the heat of the battle. Number one, submit your situation to God. Number two, submit your pride to God. Number three, submit your emotions to God. Now, that's easier said than done. I get it. Submitting your emotions to God. Because when you're in the heat of the battle, your emotions are raging, and you're upset, and you cannot rationalize properly. You think you can, but... None of us can. None of us can. But you can actually get a grip by reaching out to God. Because he's always reaching out to you. And Paul said it again, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 
He said, no temptation has ever overtaken you that isn't common to man. Boy, some people get so upset about the behavior of other people. Like it's the first time that ever happened. No, listen to what Paul said to the Corinthian Christians. He said, no, to the Corinthian Christians. To the members of that carnal church. He said, no temptation has overtaken you. Not just walked in front of you, but overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that's his forgiveness and freedom, that you may be able to endure it and move on. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. We're talking about some power here in Christian living. But it just doesn't come like that automatically. Well, I prayed about it, and I said, he's wrong, and she said, I'm wrong, and they said, we're wrong, and they're going to go over here, and I'm going to go there. And they're gonna... No, in the heat of the battle, first off, submit your situation to God. I know it's hard to pay attention. It's warm. A lot of movement in here today. And so, you know, you may be distracted, but boy, you, we all need these. I don't know about you. I guess I'll just preach to myself, but I know I need to submit my situation to God. I know I need to submit my pride to God, and boy, that's tough. And even tougher, I know I need to submit my emotions to God. I said there were four, so here's the fourth one. Submit your mouth to God. Or do you only open your mouth to change feet? My advice? Learn to zip it. And I know for some people, I know you, I know this is a bigger miracle than the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. <laughs> I know it. I understand. I know that. You just can't help that add-on. That parenthetical, I am on this globe to set you straight comment. Oh, dear God, deliver us from that. Zip it. Submit your situation. Submit your pride. Submit your emotions. Notice I didn't put this one first because it's such a tough one. Submit your mouth. James was also the one, wasn't he, who said, how can so much damage come out of such a little member? So I want us to bow our heads right now. That means we're going to pray. I'm not going to do something. And I want you to repeat this prayer after me. God, out loud, God, put a filter in front of my mouth. Amen. That was the prayer of David. Psalm 141, verse 3. He said, Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. David today is still the number one hero of Israel. 
You need to study the whole life of David. He didn't live a very pretty life. Started out rather gloriously, but... Read Psalm 51. Ephesians 4.29, Paul said, Do not use harmful words in talking. Use only helpful words. So you see, that would automatically cancel most conversations before they ever started, if we really applied that. Do not use harmful words in talking. Use only helpful words, the kind that build up and provide what's needed. You see, if you meant that prayer, and if God is, is, is going to put a filter over my mouth and over our mouths, first we need to allow him to put a filter over our hearts. The Bible also says, out of the heart the mouth speaketh, out of the abundance of the heart. So whatever is overflowing in the heart, that's what's going to spill out. So it's no secret to anybody What's in your heart, all you have to do is open your mouth. And if we're going to put a filter in front of what comes out of our hearts, then we need first to put a filter in front of what comes into our hearts. So you need to guard your intake. See, the filter really needs to guard your intake. You need to be careful what and who you listen to. You need to be careful what and who you listen to. You need to be careful what and who you listen to, broken record. You need to be careful of what and who you are listening to. If you're around negative, critical, judgmental people, you'll become negative, critical, and judgmental. If you're around potty mouth people, you'll become potty mouth. You need to filter your intake. You filter your intake, you filter what comes into your heart, then you filter what goes out of your heart, then you're filtering what comes out of your mouth. See, the hard truth is this, and I came down to the last portion of my message to share it with you, is we don't have a mouth condition. We have a heart condition. And that's why uh, I cited Psalm 51, the great confession prayer of David. In verse 10 of that confession, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David was a man after God's own heart. Yes, he was. David was greatly blessed of God. Yes, he was. David was the greatest king of Israel. Yes, he was. David reigned during the what are still called the glory years of the, Israel, of the nation of Israel. Yes. David didn't kind of keep watch the way he should have about his own life. Got careless. Let his eyes wander. Let his mind wander. Let his heart wander. The next thing you know, he was deep in trouble. And the next thing you know, he was paying for it. And the next thing you know, he was broken. And he's come back. And he knew he was a man of God. And he knew that he had failed God. And he knew that he'd really failed his people in that sense. And he's crying out here and lamenting. And he said, create in me a clean heart, God. And create in me a right spirit. He didn't say, I want to get saved again. 
He didn't say, I think I've been missing something. I need to get rebaptized. He didn't say any of that. He said, create in me a clean heart. I'm yours, God, but I want to be able to be a good ambassador for you. And with that clean heart, create a right spirit within me. I've learned this in my few years on the globe. Intelligent people think before they speak. And because of that, what they say then is more persuasive. So don't just open mouth to change feet. And listen before you answer. I've seen and heard. I don't have time to tell you all the details, but I've walked into some situations <laughs> at midnight and after. Walked into one one night, and just, the timing was perfect because the frying pan had just gone across the kitchen right by the door where I was coming in. You think I'm loony now. Imagine what I'd be like if that had hit me at 12 o'clock at night. And listening to people argue and make their case has always been intriguing to me. How many people already have their answer before they've even heard what the accusation is? Because they won't listen. Well, they can't listen and filter what that person's saying so they can prepare their answer so the answer before listening. You've lost all credibility. I don't care what you're discussing. If you try to answer before listening. Listen and then answer. And if you really listen, nine out of ten times you won't have to answer. Or the answer will be way different than you had planned. We're so about protecting our own turf that we forgot what the argument was about in the first place. I'll wrap it up with this. There once was a little boy with a very bad temper. So his father... gave him a bag of nails and a hammer. And he said, son, every time you lose your temper, I want you to go hammer one nail in that back fence out there at the back of the yard. The boy said, okay. Well, the first day, the boy had driven 37 nails into the fence. Some of us have been there. Guilty. Then it gradually dwindled down. Then he discovered something. It was easier to hold his temper than it was to go every time he lost his temper and drive a nail into that fence. And finally, the day came when the boy didn't lose his temper at all. Not once that day. So that night he told his father about it, and the father suggested that the boy now do something different. 
He said, son, every day that you don't put a nail in that fence, I want you to go and pull one out. Every day you've been able to hold your temper. Hey, I'm telling you, days passed. And the young boy was finally able to come to his dad. And he said, dad, all the nails are gone. And the father took his son by the hand and he said, come with me. And he walked him out to the fence. He said, son, you've really done well. I am so proud of you. (laughs) But look at all the holes in the fence. This fence will never be the same. See, when you say things in anger... They leave a scar just like this one, son. You can put a knife in a man and draw it out. It doesn't matter how many times you say, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean, I'm sorry. The wound is still there. Do you know what one of the scariest verses in the Bible is? Perhaps the scariest verse in all of the Bible is found in Matthew 12, verse 36. And I'm going to read it to you. Here's what it says. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every empty or careless word. Every empty or careless word. They have spoken. I can't preach on, let's pray. In the quiet of this few minutes, I wonder who in this room would be willing to seriously take some time for spiritual stock-taking and really look over the inventory of your life. What's coming in? What am I allowing to lodge in my heart? What's my speech and my action look like as a result of that? Or what does it sound like? Where is it going? And I'm going to ask that we just remain in quiet prayer for just a moment or two. And I want to give you that opportunity. If you're not one of those people and none of this applies to you, then I'm just going to ask you to pray for the rest of us to whom it does apply. Because every last one of us is in some kind of a relationship. We want to be more and do more than just open our mouths to change feet. And when we consider that last verse, that on the day of judgment, people will give account for every empty or careless word ever spoken that convicts us like nothing else. Holy Spirit, do your work of bringing conviction and change 
in victory and freedom as only you can. You may have someone here today that you need to talk to about this very problem or the situation. Maybe you need to just learn how to incorporate these steps to freedom, submitting your situation and submitting your pride and submitting your emotions and submitting your mouth to God in the heat of battle. Everything said today is meant for those who know the Lord and those who love the Lord and those who want to move on and grow in the Lord. It's not meant as a criticism of anyone, a judgment of anyone, or a putting down or elevating of anyone. It's all about biblical truth. And so with our minds trained on God right now, and our spirits just longing to be right with Him, If something has been said this morning that would resonate with you and that needs to change in your life, I'm going to ask that you submit your life, lock, stock, and barrel, afresh to God. And that you move on into the life that God intends you and has always intended you to live. I don't want you to sit here in judgment of me. I don't want you, my friend, to sit in judgment of someone else that's here or not here. A friend, a relative, a spouse, somebody that works with you, somebody that lives close to you. I don't want you. I want us all to zero in on me, myself, I. And I want us to be willing to drop those issues and go on living with, living for, and living in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.